Lord God, you do make beautiful things out of even the likes of us. We thank you for that. And we we pray, Lord, that uh, we can draw closer to you as we have a close-up experience of you, Jesus, our Savior. Touch our hearts anew this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And God's peace be with you, friends. We are in a sermon series that we're calling Jesus Up Close. And we're taking a look at a number of the stories from Jesus' life and ministry where different people get up close to Jesus and are impacted by him to see how that might apply to our own lives and how we might see Jesus up close. And this is going to be a little bit different kind of sermon, for part of it anyway, in that we're going to have some interactive dynamics going on. Uh, I actually have a little microphone here. Don't worry, I'm not going to put you on the spot, but I might ask a question, and if you raise your hand, I'll bring the mic to you, and and you can offer uh, an insight. Uh, But uh, the one question I wanted to ask you was whether you have ever been climbing on or to the top of a certain mountain. For example, years ago, I hiked the back way to the top of Half Dome Mountain in uh, Yosemite National Park. And it was awesome to stand on top of that huge dome and looking way down into the Yosemite Valley below. Or more recently than that, I, I didn't hike this one. I rode the Cog Railway up to the top of Pikes Peak overlooking Colorado Springs. It's about 14,000 feet up, and you get a little dizzy at that thin air. Anybody been up on top of a mountain. Would you mind raising your hand? And I'd like to hear what mountain it was. About where was it? Can you tell us? It was in New Mexico. In New Mexico. Wow, I bet that was fun. Anybody else? A mountain you've been on top of? Yeah. I've been in one in Flagstaff Snowball Mountain. Snowball Mountain, huh? Cool. All right. Cool. In Flagstaff. Anybody else? Oh, way in the back. All right, Tom, I'm coming to you. All right. I'm getting my exercise today. What mountain? Oberammergau. Oberammergau, Germany. Oh, my goodness. Wow, that, that probably gets the one for the furthest away today from all three services. Okay, Antia. Antia. Let me get around here. Okay. All right, here we go. Zugspitze by Garmisch-Partenkirchen oh, in Germany. In Germany also. All right, now we're getting international. That is cool. Other mountains. Okay, all right. Is it Jillian? Jillian bins on top of a mountain. Which one? Well, my mom has been on Table Bay Mountain in Africa. Oh, my goodness, really? That is, that is awesome. Wow. Well, that way outshines my mountains. Okay, cool. Well, why am I doing this? Because in today's Bible story, we see Jesus taking three of his disciples up on top of a mountain. And they get up close with Jesus. And they have this amazing experience. And I think there's something for us to learn from this story from Matthew 17. And so we're going to dig, dig into this a little bit. Jesus takes only three of his 12 disciples up to this mountaintop. Let me start off with the first verse. It says, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, And John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. I want to put a map on the screens of the Holy Land and show where this was located. Way at the far north, above Galilee, above the pink section, he's circling, first of all, 
the town of Caesarea Philippi. Six days before this mountain event, Jesus is with his disciples in the town of Caesarea Philippi, and it's in that town Jesus says to them, hey, who do you say I am? And remember what Peter said? He made his bold confession, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and Jesus praises him for those comments. Later on, Jesus begins to tell them that he was going to have to suffer and die and on the third day rise again. And then do you remember what Peter said? No, Lord, that'll never happen to you. And then Jesus had to chastise Peter pretty strongly and said, get behind me, Satan, right? Because he didn't have in mind the things of God. All of that happened in Caesarea Philippi. Well, now the text tells us six days later after that event, they go up on a high mountain, and more than likely, it's Mount Hermon just to the north of Caesarea Philippi. Sits up pretty high. I've got a picture here of Mount Hermon from the Sea of Galilee. If we can put that picture up on the screens. So you see the Sea of Galilee is. So that's a picture of Mount Hermon. You see in the wintertime, it actually gets some snow on the top. And Jesus takes his disciples up on top of that mountain. And in, in Luke's account of this same story, Luke tells us the reason they go there. He tells us that they went up on that mountain in order to pray with Jesus, to pray. So this is a lot more than just a hike or an outing. This was supposed to be a spiritual mountaintop experience with Jesus. I remember when I was, uh, well, when I was about your guy's age, third, fourth, fifth grade, and even beyond that, every summer my siblings and I would go to summer camp. It was a Bible camp in the mountains above Los Angeles called Arrowhead Lutheran Camp. And it was a great week-long experience of singing Bible songs around the fire and, and learning Bible stories and making new friends from all around the country and just having a great mountaintop spiritual experience year after year in the summertime. It was, it was really rather memorable for me and life-changing. Let me ask you, what is your most memorable spiritual mountaintop experience? You don't have to answer out loud, but just think about that. Where you felt especially close to God, where Jesus became really real for you. Maybe it was some kind of a spiritual retreat that you went on with either by yourself or maybe with a group of other Jesus followers, maybe it was the youth group, high school youth group, or the, when the youth went to the national youth gathering last summer, or maybe it was uh, uh, an experience in a worship service where it just, the whole experience kind of took you to a high. Maybe it was a pastor's sermon that really got you there. I know it wasn't one of mine. It was probably Pastor John's sermon, but not one of mine. But, or maybe, maybe you were just in your quiet time reading your Bible and you had kind of an aha moment. Oh, now I get it. Now I see what that means. Now I see how it applies to me. What is your most memorable mountaintop spiritual experience? Well, Jesus' three disciples, Peter, James, and John, were about to have an amazing mountaintop experience, unlike anything they had ever seen before. The story continues. There on that mountain, 
Jesus was transfigured before them. Now, before I read on, let me just mention about that word. In the original Greek language, it's the word from which we get our word metamorphosis, a change of form. Jesus had a transformation, a transfiguration, a change of his form in front of them. Now, what did that look like? He goes on to tell us. Matthew says, his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. Luke tells us it was bright, as bright as lightning. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Wow. This is a strange, different sort of experience. Jesus is kind of glowing with this bright light. What was that all about? Jesus' disciples were getting a glimpse of his divine glory of the fact that he himself was not any mere man, but he was a God-man, God in a human body. And his divine glory was radiating out from him in this particular event. And then, if that weren't enough, these two additional characters show up, Moses and Elijah. Okay, children, Moses and Elijah, are they from the New Testament or the Old Testament? The Old Testament, right. See, you studied your, your, in your class. You pay attention to your teacher, don't you? Yes, good job. Yes, they're from the Old Testament. Moses, he's the one we heard about in that Old Testament story where they're up, uh, he's up on Mount Sinai and he has this conversation with God and it's a glorious moment and God gives him the Ten Commandments. Remember that. That's the Moses that appears with Jesus and the disciples. He's allowed to come back from heaven and appear there. And the other one is Elijah. Elijah is that Old Testament prophet of God who was taken from earth straight up into heaven in a chariot of fire. These are the two men that appear with Jesus. Moses kind of represents the law, you know, the law of God because he was the law bringer. And Elijah represents all the prophets of the Old Testament who foretold the coming of the Savior. Don't miss the significance here of the fact that they're talking with Jesus. You know, Moses, if you think about it, he was, he was the great deliverer, right? He delivered the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt and led them toward the promised land, the land of Canaan. He didn't get in there himself, but he led them to the brink of it. And then his follower was, or his uh, successor was a guy named Joshua. And isn't it interesting that the name Joshua has the same root meaning as the name Jesus, one who saves, one who delivers. And then we think about Elijah. He had a successor named Elisha. And Elisha has in the root of that name, the same root as the name Joshua and Yeshua or Jesus. One who saves, one who delivers. Point being, friends, that Jesus fulfills all of this. He fulfills all of this Old Testament stuff. Going on, uh, Luke gives us some more insight about what Jesus was talking about with Moses and Elijah. In Luke's account, he says, they spoke about baseball. No, no, they didn't talk about baseball. Yeah, I know. They spoke about Jesus' departure, and the Greek word for departure is the word exodus, exodus, exodus. 
his departure. What's that talking about? His death on the cross. Moses and Elijah are talking with Jesus about his impending death on the cross, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. My goodness, the significance of this event is phenomenal. When we remember that everything in the Old Testament points forward to the coming of the Savior, whom we know as Jesus, we realize that he fulfills everything in the Old Testament. Just as Moses was the great deliverer of the people in the Old Testament days, Jesus is the great deliverer of all of us and leads us out of slavery to sin to the promised land, not of Canaan, but of heaven. And just as Elijah and Elisha were prophets who proclaimed God's truth, Jesus fulfilled all of that by being the truth, of being God's living message to the world, his message of love. Jesus, like Elijah, went up into heaven directly, not on a chariot, but he ascended into heaven physically to prepare a place there for all who trust and believe in him. Jesus fulfills all of this. And so how incredible was that it's Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus about his impending death. Now, Peter and the other disciples, you know, they, ex- they see all this. They experience all of this, and I think they were a little overwhelmed by the whole experience. I mean, just put yourself in their sandals, what that must have been like to see all of this. And uh, Peter starts uh, talking, and he doesn't really make a lot of sense in what he says. It tells us in Matthew 17, 4, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Luke tells us he, he wasn't really thinking clearly. Here, here's what I think Peter is saying. Lord, let's stay up here on this mountain. Let's camp out up here. Let's pitch some tents. This is such an incredible mountaintop experience. Let's stay up here. And, of course, that's not what they were going to do. We'll get to that in just a moment. A number of years ago, the Christian recording artist named Amy Grant, so I'm sure many of you have heard of her, in the early days of her career recorded a song called Mountaintop. And the chorus of that particular song, I think, is still very relevant. Listen to the words. It says, I'd love to live on a mountaintop fellowshipping with the Lord. I love to stand on a mountaintop because I love to feel my spirit soar. But I've got to come down from the mountaintop to the people in the valley below or they'll never know that they can go to the mountain of the Lord. You know, it's tempting to be like the disciples, like Peter, and say, Lord, let's just bask in all this glory. Let's just stay up here on the mountain. Let's come to worship and let's just stay here. Let's stay at church. You know, this, is, this feels so good. I don't want to go out there into the world that, that just so, you know, messed up. I want to stay in all this glory. That's the temptation, to stay up on the mountain. But we're called to go back down into the valley where people are hurting and lonely and seeking answers to life's biggest questions and looking for love. Well, we go on with the story. Matthew 17, 5 says, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them. 
There's a picture of Mount Hermon with clouds around it. I, I think the clouds that they experienced was even more majestic than this. It says it was a bright cloud and it completely enveloped them. And, and it says, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. What is God the Father whose voice is speaking there? What's he doing? First of all, he's, he's affirming Jesus as his beloved son, as his specially chosen one to accomplish the salvation of the world. But then he also says to the disciples, listen to him. Now I'm wondering, what do you think that means for us? If for God the Father were to say, hey, listen to Jesus. How do we do that? Any ideas on how we listen to Jesus today? Yeah. We listen to him when he's teaching. When he's teaching, and he teaches where? Yeah. In the Bible. In the Bible, that's right. And so if Jesus teaches us in the Bible, that means we really ought to spend more time reading this, right? And studying it and asking God, the Holy Spirit, to help us understand what we're reading so we can be growing in our faith. Listen to him, the Father says, and do what he says. Going on with the story, it says, when the disciples heard this, when they heard the voice, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Here they are, absolutely scared to death. And what does Jesus do? He touches them and calms their fears. He lets them know that he's with them, even in their fears, that he loves them, and they don't have to be afraid. Let me ask you, what are you afraid of these days? What kind of fears and anxieties tend to keep you up at night or wake you up early in the morning wondering what's going to happen next? I don't want you to answer out loud, but think about what those fears are. I think Jesus wants us to understand that just as he loved his disciples and was with them in the middle of their fear and calmed their fears, that he loves you too. And he's with you in the midst of your fears. And he can calm your troubled heart as well. You know, when we know that we're loved, we can face anything. And we are always loved by Jesus. John, who was one of those three up on that mountain, years later wrote a couple of letters, three letters to be, to be exact. And in his first letter, listen to what he says about the power of love to take away our fear. He says, we will have confidence on the day of judgment. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. We love because he first loved us. Did you catch that? Love casts out fear. And Jesus proved the depth of his love for us when he stretched out his arms on a cross and said, I love you this much, that I would die for you. Jesus stepped into your place and mine on that cross. He was our substitute, and he took the punishment for sin that we all deserve. He willingly did that because he loves us. He paid the full penalty for our sins, and now he says, just believe I did this for you. And you are forgiven and you're on your way to heaven. Heaven is open to you through faith in Jesus.
That kind of perfect love, friends, casts away the worst of our fears, the fear of death and the fear of hell. Because Jesus has conquered death and he's conquered hell, we are not going to go to hell through believing in Jesus, our Savior. Heaven is ours. One last verse in this text. It says, as they were coming down the mountain, and yes, they did come down, Jesus instructed them. Now, this is rather curious. Listen to this. He says, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Don't tell anyone until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Rather curious. They've had this incredible mountaintop experience, and then he says, okay, shh, don't tell anybody. Why? Well, we understand this when we realize what was going on politically in that day and age. You see, the common Jewish person of Jesus' day was looking for the kind of Messiah who would be a political ruler king. They wanted a Messiah who was going to come in and throw the Romans out of their country and set up Israel as a powerful nation. They wanted a political warrior king. That's what they're expecting. And Jesus wasn't that at all. He didn't come to be a political warrior king. He came to be a suffering, dying servant king who would accomplish the salvation of the world. And so he didn't want his plans of going to the cross interfered with. So he said, for now, don't tell anybody this because they will just take me and try to force me to be their king. But he did qualify that. He said, don't tell until, did you catch it? Until what? What? The Messiah is raised from the dead. Don't tell anyone until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. All right, can I state the obvious for just a minute? All right, catch this now. Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. So it's okay to tell now. It's okay to tell. In fact, Jesus commands us to tell others the good news, that he's alive and that he loves people and that he gave his life for them to have eternal life. He wants us to tell everyone about him. About 30 years after all of this, Peter, who had been on that mountaintop, writes two letters, and in his second letter, listen to what he said. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Peter and John and all the others became bold witnesses about their faith in Jesus, their Savior. Why? Because they'd seen him alive again. Peter became bold. Yes, Peter, the one who had denied even knowing Jesus three times the night he was arrested. That Peter was emboldened because Jesus, he had seen Jesus alive. How have you experienced Jesus up close? You know, what transformed Peter and the other disciples is that they had seen Jesus up close. They'd had an experience with Jesus up close and personal. How have you experienced Jesus up close and personal? Oh, no, I don't mean that You would have seen him face to face. That won't happen until he comes again on the last day. But but aren't there some ways that Jesus 
comes close to us today. And if the opportunity arose, could you tell your Jesus story? Could you tell your story about how Jesus' love and his grace has impacted your lives? You know, there are people right around you every single day who don't know about God's love, who don't know how to get to the mountain of heaven, who don't realize that God has done it all for them and that they simply need to trust in Jesus as their Savior. Your story about Jesus could be the very thing that changes somebody's life forever. It could be the very thing that leads them to their own aha moment where they say, oh, I finally get it. Jesus died for me. And if I believe in him, I'm forgiven and I have eternal life. I want to encourage you to share your story. Nobody can argue with your story. It's your story. It's your story of how God's love has changed your life. When the opportunity arises, will you share your story with someone else? To wind up, let's just talk about the takeaways from this whole story of the transfiguration of Jesus. What can we learn from this to apply to our lives? Well, among other things, first of all, let's listen to Jesus and do what he says. In other words, let's spend time in his word growing more and more to be like Jesus. Then let's take all of our fears, whatever they might be, and turn them over to him, knowing that he walks with us through our fears and he calms our troubled spirits with his love and grace. And then finally, friends, let's be willing to go down off the mountain and out into the valley. As wonderful as it is to gather like this, to be on the mountaintop of God's love and grace. There's a whole valley out there that needs a message of love and grace. We can take it to them. We need to take it to them. And we just might be the ones to bring Jesus up close to someone else. May it be so for his sake. Amen.